Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, We are back, folks. We are back in the building. It has been a little while, but we are excited to be back with another show, our first official show of the summer of 2019, Uh, Mr. Host, I guess according to some sort of uh, the lunar calendar, the Chinese calendar, some sort of calendar. The official day, first day of summer was a couple of days ago, so welcome to summer 2019. Yes, sir. Uh, I always look forward to the first day of summer because the only thing I remember from childhood is that it is the longest day of the year, and I I loved that. So I always paid attention to even this past Friday, which was the official start of the summer equinox, as they call it. Uh, I was just looking out my window, watching, you know, looking at the clock outside, the clock outside to try and gauge, okay, what time is it going to, you know, when dusk officially started, I think we got yeah. to, uh, I want to say like eight fifty three. Um, uh, pretty late, pretty late. Yeah, pretty late, and uh, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That is right. Holy they, smoke! The, the day, the days start getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> very, very true. Very, very true. But we're back. We're back. Summer two thousand nineteen. Have a good. Uh, a good show on tap. I think this this show is kind of a two birds with one stone kind of show. So it'll be great for folks who are just calling in to listen and folks who like to listen to some of our topics on the podcast who have any kind of general interest in the field. Um, but then also I think a great show for staff themselves and maybe newer staff, uh, staff who aren't as seasoned or haven't been around as long as others. Um, but I think the applications of the topic – um, even branch to to outside of our field, so I think we got a good one on tap for the audience. Well, I mean, other than the fact that we just like to talk, um, yeah, we, yeah. You know, we exactly we do it for ourselves selfishly first because we like to do it, uh, and you're right. We try and um, you know, I mean, is it okay in today's age to say kill two birds with one stone is that saying been still yeah, allowed to good. be saying or 
Or Good has call. It been... We might get the animal activists <laughs> out at us for that one. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great call. Well, I think well, it would be okay if we were broadcasting out of Central Texas, but I think mm-hmm. we might have to watch our P's and Q's here in the Bay Area. That, that's a good that's, point. That's true. But in terms of uh, doing things that can be informative and educational for our staff and those who are just, like you said, have a general interest in, in the field, um, graduates, Etc. Um, so the other thing I want to mention real quick is uh, we would have actually been on much earlier, i.e. like a couple of weeks ago. But one, I think you came down with, uh, I don't know, what was it, a grade two Ebola? Uh, Something, yeah, it was, yeah, that was a rough go of it for sure. <laughs> For sure, yeah, that was a couple of weeks back, and then last week I think you had something on tap there, huh? Yeah. Oh, my, yeah, the my, installation of the the deal. Yeah, my uh, my my solar installation. That's a whole another conversation, uh, and I think the week prior to that, so it's three weeks. The first week, it was uh, my office wasn't available, so I couldn't couldn't do it. Then then you got sick, and then I had the uh, installation, and and I think I told you in the text. At the time, because I scheduled this in like late April, I didn't even think to wonder. Well, what what day of the week is the 18th? They just said, "Hey, is the 18th okay in June?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, it's far out." No, you know. Right, 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 right. I'm just trying to get it scheduled. Um, come to find out, it's Tuesday, so we should we should have been on the air three weeks ago. It's true. Yeah, it's true. The uh, cacophony of of uh, items and errors came up, but we're back. We're back, yep. and uh, it, it's it's a good. This one is worth the wait. Uh, this one is worth the wait. It was uh, just so the audience knows. It, it's an interesting thing that um, uh, the host here gave me a text the other the other day with a potential topic idea because we game plan the ideas and, and chat about them, get a little our minds wrapped around them before the show goes live, and. Um, it, it was perfect timing because I had I had shared that I was just in a similar situation uh, where this came into application, and so it was uh, the the stars aligned properly for this topic. Well, same for me because I was accosted. If that's the word <laughs> to use today, the word of the day, I was accosted by a few clients, which I'll explain at the right time. But back to you contracting some kind of deadly. Uh, Virus word on the street, because we do do our background investigation, uh, is that uh, your your wife um, slayed you again by uh, touching you and and anointing you with the virus, which is part of the one of the the very few unfortunate side effects of being married. Um, and you know when you share close personal space with your spouse, for better or worse. If they come down with something, although me personally, I've been fantastic at avoiding uh, catching anything. Oh, boy, let me tell you. Not only my (laughs) wife, but from my children and now my grandchildren. But, uh, uh, yeah, she slayed you. She anointed you with the the virus from hell. Um, but, But there's a background story to all of this, which I'd like you to speak to. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess we can start with the the sickness, which let me add uh, to kind of piggyback off what you just said. I did everything in my power to avoid getting this sickness, uh, and my ears perk up to it because, uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife also works in a social services field, in a social services setting. And so for those who don't work in this field, you're usually – in close proximity with either clients, if, if you're in a residential setting or staff, and all it will take is one or two people to get sick within that setting before it spreads like a wildfire. This, this is just the, the history of how things are things go around in this kind of field. So we're, uh, we're watching a television show, and I, I forget if I heard her sniffle or sneeze, something that most people would think <laughs> is very innocent. And I immediately <laughs> snapped my neck to the left. What is going on? Are you sick? Are you getting sick? No, I don't think so. But a couple people at my office, I said, oh, man, I've heard enough. So <laughs> for, for the next two, three, four days, I'm sitting on the opposite couch. I'm not, no, you know, we're, we're keeping distance to try and avoid this. And I guess it was powerful enough. Maybe it, it became airborne. Who knows? But, uh. Yeah, it, it, it got to me, and um, like you said, which is you said it jokingly, but it's true. Uh, every host that the that the virus goes to, it strengthens because it has had to um, overcome one bout with somebody's immune system. And right. so, whatever immunity caught up to it, it's okay. We've now programmed ourselves to deal with that. And so, by the time it got with me, I, I knew it had happened because I had woken up maybe three mornings later and I couldn't swallow it hurt to swallow. So it started in the throat and I said, Oh, that's it. I, I got it. She got me. I just have to interject here that for our audience, because one of the sad parts about this story, this whole story is that Mr. Producer and his wife have third world um, background. Mr. Producer is from uh, Mexico, and your wife is from where again? El Salvador, yeah. El Salvador, right. So they are an embarrassment <laughs> to, to, <laughs> true. To, to, to their people because they have been first-worlded. Their immune system has become first-worlded, and so now they're just, you know, anything. The common cold will bring them down, where I myself, not to brag, have also being from the, uh, a third-world country, have managed to maintain my third world immune system because I like to say I'm where viruses come to die. So if I catch something, <laughs> it stops where there. It dies. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, no. And that's a great thing. And, and we, yeah, our immune systems have become first world. And I, you know, I get sick at looking across the grocery store at someone who's sick. I'm liable to mm -hmm. get sick. It's a, oh, it's a sad thing. It is sad times, but yes, so moving on to uh, the more important news, we'll drop my favorite little soundbite here. And perhaps uh, being being got by my wife, as you so aptly put, or maybe we could even use your favorite, the word of the day, accosted here. Mm -hmm. uh, but indeed, uh, we are expecting our first child. Uh, we, we are, um, I think I'm almost 14 weeks now into my wife's pregnancy 
and we just recently found out, I want to say maybe four or five days ago, we found out the gender, which today I guess you find out a lot sooner than you used to back in the day where the gender was essentially revealed by an ultrasound kind of later on in pregnancy. Um, But today there's blood tests and things of that nature, and we were given the news not too many days ago that we are expecting a little girl. Uh, and so immediately upon that news, thank you, thank you. For me, that might there might have to be some tears in there, uh, based oh, on what I've heard from some of my some of my friends. Uh, but yeah, after we shared with our immediate family and started telling people, my wife was very excited for me to share this news with you. Oh, you yep. have to text Orville. I want to know what Orville has to say because. Again, she she finds you to be one of the funniest human beings ever with with your responses and your uh, your kind of flat affect approach, your your style, the comedy, if you will. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll shoot him a text. And sure enough, I, I read her year response, and she was in stitches. Uh, and so, but yeah, that that is the news on the block. OCG is having another family member brought in. That is uh, fantastic. Wonderful news, <clears throat> and as I did tell Mr. Producer, um, unfortunately, when you have daughters, they are never off the payroll. <laughs> that's, and that's the bit she liked about that, yeah. yes. So I said, yeah. oh, man, yeah, the the pain is coming. Yep. So I have to ask, uh, for, first, you know, is your wife experiencing uh, any morning sickness? She kind of already went through that phase. I got a lot of okay. folks say it's strongest uh, in the first trimester. For some women, it can it can linger on into the second and even throughout the duration. But the peak weeks where, um, statistically speaking, uh, where morning sickness comes up are fall within the first trimester. So she went through a pretty serious bout of that for a handful of weeks where mm-hmm. it, it was basically daily or close to that. Um, now mm-hmm. she might feel a little off or a little nauseous um, every once in a while, but it's definitely not regular anymore. I think she's kind of gotten through that window. And did you have any uh, sympathy morning sickness? No, I did not. You know, I, I okay. didn't feel other than other than I think, which is kind of natural human nature. When you see somebody who's nauseous, you might your stomach might start to feel queasy too because you're. Mm-hmm. You're kind of seeing that, but um, mm-hmm. but no, I, I didn't go through that. Uh-uh. Well, this is why I always say two things. Number one, they are definitely the uh, stronger sex. And number two, if it was left us up to us men, we would either be childless couples or uh, just one, one child. Yeah, only right. Go through, only go through <laughs> that once. Right, or a lot of adoption. Adoption numbers would skyrocket, right? Yep. Oh yeah, no, they are they are absolutely the the stronger sex. There's no doubt about that. So we would definitely be uh excited as time goes on to hear about, you know, being you know, being that this is you guys is first first time um going through the process to hear all the peaks and valleys and, you know, all of the things that y'all experience as y'all go through this process of uh pregnancy and what have you and um how we have here at OCG Radio Roadshow Recovery have stolen the uh the pregnancy um 
uh, terminology of the trimesters to use for right. ourselves um, <laughs> in in the recovery uh, process, the, tr- the first, second, and third trimester. So we'll be excited to hear as y'all go through it, and y'all take us along for the ride with you. Absolutely, we will we will be keeping uh, the listeners up to date. Uh, whenever we have a show, check-ins and and all that good stuff. The the due date is at the end of the year, so. All right. Little ways to go. All right. Um. Well, we've had a lot of stuff happen in the world of sports. Indeed, indeed, we have. In fact, let's see here. Uh, let's get this cooking. <laughs> Yeah, we can start with uh, because there's not much to say about football other than OTAs are basically officially over um, for all the NFL teams. And the NFL yesterday just released training camp dates for all 32 NFL teams. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if you checked in on the Cowboys. I think our Niners report on the 26th. Uh, the Cowboys usually report that last week, the 27th, somewhere along there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just hope that they're not in the Hall of Fame game this year. Uh, they're not. You know, I would okay. have remembered Dallas. I forget who, um, but I remember looking at the two teams, and, and it definitely I would have remembered if it was Dallas or the Niners or you, it wasn't any of them. You remember how back in the day how we used to be excited if our team was in the Hall of Fame game because we get football an extra week early, football right. game, and now we don't want anything. You know, we said, no, we'll we'll, we'll bow out. We don't want to yeah. put our players at risk. <laughs> exactly. Shut, <laughs> shut it down until the regular season. At least get yep. me through a week or two before I start getting my torn ACL updates. Exactly. Um, well, it's the dead zone right now. Um, the only thing that I really have to comment on is, you know, there's a whole lot of action on social media for the, for the Cowboys regarding um, Dak Prescott and his contract. His his agent, I don't know if you heard this or read this, is asking for thirty four million. I um, have. And I think somewhere within the body of the contract there will be a thirty four million dollar year, but I don't think that will be like starting at thirty four and going up from there. Um and what what I would do is uh I would give him whatever the value of the Philadelphia Eagles starting quarterback Carson Wentz, whatever the value of his deal is, so let's say his deal is worth 125 million. Yeah. Uh, I would give him that same value, but just structure it a little bit differently. Yeah, um, that's exactly. You can use a lot of offset language and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, I, mean, I tell you, it's it's heated discussion on both extremes. You know, uh, I obviously he's not worth. You know what I mean? In in the strictest sense of the word, he's not worth $30 million in terms of right. his play. Um, but you have to give a nod to what the market is, and we all know that if the next guy signs, which would be Goff, and he gets $36 million, then the price just went up. Exactly. So, so I'm hoping they get it done uh, sooner than later. And there's also a report out that um, prior to signing anybody – Prescott, Elliott, Cooper, 
They've already signed uh, Lawrence, but those three guys, outstanding. They're projected next year to be $114 million, uh under the cap. So okay, okay. So there's more than enough money to sign those guys, but I think they just want to be prudent. Right. Well, and what you say is true, right? So every year those numbers are going to go up, and so right. signing them sooner than later is a big deal. Because And remember, it was just – was it – Right, yeah, before the start of last year in the off season when the Niners gave Jimmy Garoppolo that five year deal. Right. Well, and that at that time Jimmy Garoppolo was the highest paid quarterback in the league. Right. In the history of the NFL. And that's only one year ago and now you look at his his contracts, twenty six million a year, it's like wow, you know, that's uh now now what you're looking around, that that's like a discount. And it seems so long ago that this guy burst on the scene those last five games. Um, yeah. The next season he plays a game or two, whatever it is, um, tears his ACL. And so it'll be interesting to see as he as he works his way back this year if he uh, lives up to that. Because what was it, like a $137 million contract? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, and the, so thing, is, the thing is, most quarterbacks who sign that, and I want to talk about something else with the quarterbacks. Most quarterbacks who sign those deals, they get their money. Right, right. So, so even if like he's um, at twenty six million, he's going to get his one hundred thirty seven million if he's playing. If he's balling, he's going to get that one hundred thirty seven million. Right. That right. Value. Exactly. Yeah. Ex- oh, exactly. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and we and we've covered it on the show before. It's actually sick that. You know, you're okay, Dak Prescott. So let, let's say he's a top 10, maybe top 15 quarterback in the league. Let's say he's in the top half of quarterbacks. Right. You hear $34 million in, in NFL language, and you want to croak. Like, oh, my, that is a ton of money for this yeah. person. And, you know, you hear baseball or basketball, $35, $40 million a year, and you almost don't blink at it anymore. And the NFL is generating more revenue probably than those two sports combined. Not to mention the risk. So the CBA ends after the 2020 season. They yeah, think there'll be a, they think there'll be a strike or a lockout. And um, I don't know if I've ever told you my idea about not only having a higher cap, but each team having two Larry Bird exceptions. Yes. Um, yeah. For their for their draft picks. Um, but we'll see if the they have the the NFL players have the weakest union in a league that grosses the most money, um, and they have never been able to really, really bargain for um, – I mean, they, they they got things down there like they want universal health care. I don't know what the hell that is. I mean, and someone said, well, they want, you know, like lifetime health care. I think that's fair. Um, so if you play a certain number of years, you should qualify to be covered for the rest of your, you know, life. Right. Um, they, can afford, they can afford it. Um, definitely a higher cap. They also said about guaranteed contracts. I don't know if I agree with that only because I didn't realize, I just found out that not all NBA contracts are guaranteed. Some are like split contracts, like there's some guaranteed, some not guaranteed. And if you're like on the, the, the upper guys have guaranteed contracts, but if you're like middle tier or definitely lower tier, you're not playing on fully guaranteed deals. 
Right, you know right, right. So, and I thought all of the contracts were guaranteed in, in the NBA. So I learned that. And once I learned that, I said, okay, well, there's, the NFL still can go up a little bit more in terms of how they do their guarantees. Um, but I don't think they, I don't think they should die on that hill because I don't think the owners will ever go for that. That the sure. contracts are just sure. all guaranteed. All money. guaranteed, right, right. Yeah. I agree. Well, yeah, and then, I don't know, and maybe this is an NFL thing, maybe this is a media thing, but you also get a lot of, um, it just, it, there tends to be a lot more off-field issues with NFL players than with any other sport. So you guarantee a player a contract, and then he gets himself into a pickle, uh, you know, in his personal life, and now all of a sudden you're paying him, but he can't play for you. Maybe there's a little more risk involved in that, uh, you know. At least, again, from what you hear through the media, it feels like you get more of that with NFL players than with other sports. Right. I always wonder, how does someone like, let's say, use Ezekiel Elliott. He's absolutely the engine that drives that train. Um, And... Let's say if he gets his contract and he'll get fifteen, sixteen million. But Dak Prescott, who can't carry your team on his own yet, is going to double him. Right, right, and that, right, and that just speaks to, even though it, you know, like you said, it definitely doesn't, it doesn't seem to make football sense. But that's that just seems to be, hey, that's that is the value of the position, right? Right. Yep. And, and so, and so maybe you could argue that Ezekiel Elliott's value is increased by the fact that he plays with Dak Prescott, right? Because if Ezekiel Elliott played on one of these teams who don't have a quarterback, well, then he's facing nine-man fronts all game, and his stats won't be what they are, you know, with with well, a Dak some, Prescott, and he's not going to get as much, right? Some Cowboy fans argue that that. That's what he still faces eight nine man fronts because they don't they don't uh, respect Prescott. I'm hoping that sure. changes this year, of course. Right, 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 right. Um, but then, yeah. So then it begs the question, and you would know better than me. Um, I don't follow the Cowboys super intimately. I know Dak is serviceable, but if you had a line like the Cowboys have with a back like Ezekiel Elliott weapons, you know, Mari Cooper, whatever, but say your quarterback was like a Drew Brees or an Aaron Rodgers, how lethal would Dak Prescott, I mean, would, would Ezekiel Elliott then be if he's facing seven-man fronts because they've got to respect the pass game? That's why for most Cowboy fans, Tony Romo going down in training camp 2016 is, is a what could have been because they would have had an experienced quarterback um at the helm to pair with Elliott and that line, which kind of came into its own in that season, almost out of necessity, maybe, maybe because they realized they had a rookie quarterback that they played with, with like even more awareness. We have to be, we have to be great uh, and to protect this guy because, you know, he's a rookie And, and it's not like he's a, it's not like he was a planned, you know, planned, rookie like he, they were grooming him to play from training camp he was just thrown in there because of injuries right so who knows but i will say this travis Frederick comes back uh this year and word on the street is he's looking fantastic and so that will immensely help their offensive line okay okay there All you right. go yep 
Well, shifting gears real quick, let me tell you a little brief story. I was uh, last Friday or Thursday, one of those two days, I was doing the afternoon seminar at the residential facility. And about about three-quarters of the way in, I'm not sure how this subject came to pass, but it did. And this is where I was accosted by, I think it was three residents in the group. And remember, now this is a group of the whole family, not split groups, the whole family. We're doing a seminar. And we were sitting in a circle, though. And one resident said that they were not comfortable. They do share in... And mind you, I wasn't asking anyone to share because we had a topic that we were talking about. But they do share in their other groups, but they weren't comfortable sharing in this group because I wasn't sharing. And then two other residents echoed the same thing. And so that started us on a, uh, you know, a small, short conversation about staff sharing. Um, And I didn't go into great, great depth with them, I kind of just said that, you know, by and large, it's generally speaking, it's not appropriate. Um, so I kind of left it at that and uh, said to myself, I was running by you. I think that would be a good topic. Um, yeah. Because it, they they didn't um, – it wasn't a passing comment. Like I said, they accosted me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And I was looking at the other staff person that was in the in the in the back of the room, and they put their hand over their face when those guys started saying that. But it was all good. And, and hey, we love that, right? When they hey, whatever's on your mind, speak your piece, um, and we'll just handle it. So saying all that to say, you know. We obviously in this field have people who have gone through the recovery process because generally people who come from the other arenas, um, you know, the uh, licensed professional counselors, the um, licensed social workers and marriage and family therapists, all of those, psychologists, all of those. Generally speaking, at least from my experience and what I have seen and witnessed, they – I'd never seen a case where one of them was sharing and, and, and it was inappropriate. Um, I, I ge- generally never seen any one of them sharing. It's We've got something breaking that I don't really care to announce, but I have to because of your New York bloodline. Uh, just now, the Yankees just broke the MLB home run record. Uh, the Yankees have now homered in 28 straight games, and the previous record was 27. Set by who? The New York Yankees? Uh, no, it actually was not the Yankees. I forget the team who they were up against competing in that, but uh, 28 straight games, this New York Yankees team, MLB record, DJ LeMahieu led off the bottom of the first inning with a home run. So they no drama today waiting for the ninth inning nail biting. Are they going to break the record? They do it with a lead off in the first. Good stuff. So had to, to drop that anyway. Way to go Yankees. So 
you know, your quote-unquote professional staff, I've never encountered them sharing at all. Um, right. But that seems to be more of a recovery-based uh, thing, where people who staff who've been in recovery, um, that's something that they would do. So the question becomes, when is it appropriate? And if if we agree that such and such a time is appropriate, what is appropriate to share? How much is appropriate to share? Etc. And those are often difficult questions to answer because um, if it's done right, the sharing is not planned. Unless you're going into like how we did extended groups or way back in the day, marathon groups, that's different. Right. But. Normally, it would be a spur-of-the-moment, unplanned thing um, for a specific reason, goal, or purpose, or objective. And I think that's the key, uh, and I know you're going you're gonna to continue on, but the, that's the key is that it's not kind of done willy-nilly, right? So even if it's in the moment, it's, it is still thought out. Like, I, I'm going to choose to self-disclose, basically, in this moment for goal or objective a b and c right so there there's right. a purpose behind it but anyway go ahead right and now uh, a, a a colleague a former colleague of mine um she was a licensed clinical social worker and we both agreed that uh one thing that's common in this field is people who haven't resolved all their issues and so they kind of bring their issues to work with them, right? And it kind of, and it kind of manif- and it not necessarily uh, overtly either, and it kind of manifests itself um, and leaks out when you're doing you know groups and things of that nature with 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 clients. So I'm like the I'm going to give you one the worst extreme that I saw was um, a fairly new daytop staff member. Um, who was a client, a graduate, went through the training program, blah, blah, blah. And it almost became laughable because almost every time, at least that I sat in in the group, and she was the facilitator of the group, and I wasn't, I wasn't a staff participant. I was just in there auditing and so on and so forth. And it would start off appropriately with, you know, here's the topic or here's, or here we're in a group, whatever it may be. And, but all of a sudden, you know, each time somebody shared something, she would have to share something that was related to that about her, her own experience. Mm, okay. Yeah. And it got to the point that clients would start to complain, not in, not in the moment, but you know, after the fact, because it became so, you know, commonplace and almost to the point that it was comical that they knew that this is what she was going to do. I mean, so automatically for me, I knew, I said, look, this person <laughs> needs outside, an outside space to continue their process. You know what I'm saying? So unbeknownst to her at the time before we ended up telling her, uh, she was using those arenas to continue her process. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we eventually made her aware of that, that that's what she was doing. And of course we did it in a, uh, 
in an appropriate fashion. But we had to kind of paint the picture for her uh, because I know me, I, I wouldn't want to be sitting in a group if every time someone shared or I shared or whatever that the person facilitating is always going to talk about themselves. So person A shared about this subject and another person shared. Every subject that was shared about, she would bring it back to herself and then talk about her experience. And that's not the role of a facilitator. Right. You're supposed to create the environment that that whatever the topic is that you want your participants to share about themselves in relation to the topic. You're just the you know you're just the spark, the fire starter, so to speak, to get the ball rolling. Um, uh, t- saying what the topic is and you know and what maybe what the objective is, what the goal is, and then okay, who wants to who wants to start? Um, now, like what you stated which is 100% correct, um, there are appropriate times for appropriate reasons where you might want to use your own experience to uh, make a connection, a personal connection with the clients and Mm -hmm. let's say like an abstract connection about the topic. For them, so they can say, "Oh, okay, I see what you're talking about," and then they can then go on and then use it for themselves. Um, and if done properly, that's fine. But I almost got the impression with these three residents that they wanted me to share, uh, and I'm going to use a little phrase here, so don't misinterpret me. They wanted me to share like I was like them. I see. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they even said that we want to know that you're you are like us or like you have experience like us um and so that we would feel comfortable and i said that's not my that's not my role um right and th- and then i said and 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 i had to obviously follow this up quickly because you know how they can sometimes take things out of context i said i'm not like you meaning that I'm not in treatment right now. Right, right you're exactly. In, you're in treatment, and this time is for you. It's not for me to share. It's for you to share. Say, so imagine if I spent, let's say we have an hour group, and I spent the first 45 minutes sharing about me, leaving only 15 minutes for all of you. That would be inappropriate, unprofessional, wrong for me to do that. Right. Now, it doesn't mean... And 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 I told them this also that at certain points in time, depending on what we're talking about or what have you, I've even done it on this show. I I don't necessarily use me, but I use my experience of raising my two daughters because we have a lot of clients who are parents, right? And so I always try to make the connection about what we're trying to do in recovery. And and what my role is and the staff member's role are is almost like being the parent to you guys. And then I make connections to show how it's similar. We know what well, we know we're obviously not your parents, but some of the things that we some of the roles that we take and um some of the role modeling that we do is no different than what a parent would do. So in that regard, in using you know using my experience with my daughters and so my parental experience, I do that often with uh, with clients. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. The other thing this staff person used to do, um, 
is at the front end of the group, spent a lot of time talking. And, of course, talking about herself. So it wasn't bad enough that after someone's talked, she would then interject her own personal experience. Sure. But she would also take up the beginning of the group time talking about her experience as it relates to the topic. And the only time that didn't occur is in encounter group. Because in encounter group, there's no, you know, we're not talking about anything. And we're not talking about a topic and giving an overview of a topic. We just, you know, we hit the bell and say, all right, let's rock and roll, right? Um, but if we were doing like a seminar or a data session or, you know, a topic group or something like that, she would start out and as a part of her overview, she would be sharing about her personal experience. Um, so those are all bad examples of a staff member, um, inappropriately sharing and ultimately it's unprofessional because it's, it's ultimately, it's not about you. Right. Now, it's my own personal opinion that it's easy in theory to like if we let's say we were training staff and we would say, hey, you know, you know, it's not appropriate to um, share your own personal or but you can pick and choose, you know, and so on and so forth. That's a very hard thing to train on because unless you're there in the room and you see the context in which it was shared, and then you can offer constructive critique or praise, you know, if it was appropriate, whatever. Um, it's just something you have to, you know, learn through time and experience. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, real didactic way to theorize it where someone can say, okay, yeah, I get it. I mean, we can just say we, we kind of err, err on the side of caution and say, hey, you know, don't share, and then we end it with the caveat. You know, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right. it's appropriate because how many times? And you should know this, Mr. Producer. When we're working with the, when we when we were working with the adolescents, yeah, you spend a lot of your time trying to make a personal connection, um, right? Even with the age difference, you know, I mean, we were trying anything to to to, to connect with them uh, to further our ultimate goal of getting them to change. <clears throat> so, yeah, we understand with kids is a little bit different, but but still, I mean, kids probably more so don't want to be hearing about your own life. I don't want to be hearing about you. What about yeah, me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yep. So, did you have experiences when when you were working with the adolescents where you used your experience to help further your ability to connect um, with the kids? Yeah, you know, I, I definitely did. I, I was trying to um, rack my mind for some clear-cut examples I could give, uh, and, and I can't really think of a, um, an upfront example, but I, I know more or less the times that I would do this. And so... Um, I know of one know, that you do, but you probably don't even remember it or notice it. But go ahead. It, yeah, so like, you know, I would try to... Um, Perhaps if a kid, maybe a kid just got a really, really rough phone call uh, from home because that's something that we used to deal with a lot. Uh, these adolescents, you know, they, they were coming from maybe not the most stable of home environments and maybe they're bouncing, you know, from this parent to that parent. And sometimes one of them might get a rough phone call from home and be going through it. And um, 
you know, I, I would maybe try to uh, find out, you know, first, you know, what's going on and, you know, if they were all right. And then they might disclose so, some kind of news that they got over the phone that was disturbing them. And if, and if it was family news that I could relate to, like I had maybe a similar family issue uh, arise when I was in treatment, um, you know, that might be a time where I would share something like that uh, just to make a little connection and maybe share, you know, uh, how, how I was able to overcome that or, you know, certain things uh, that may have helped me manage that, that they might want to try that could help them manage that. And you'd build that little connection. Uh, that way, um, very early on, especially as, and as an adolescent program, uh, the adolescents were very aware of all the graduates that we had on staff. So mm-hmm. certain tr- treatment experiences and things of that nature, um, that, that would be uh, a time where you might share something like that for sure um, in, your, in your times where you would give back, where there's kind of time on the floor and you're, and you're interacting and things of that nature. Um, I'd say I don't really do it ever, if at all, now. Um, you know, I can think of a time where I shared something maybe once in the past year with a client. It, it, you know, there was a specific reason for it. Um, but I'm also in a different role now than I was before, and we're also working with adults versus adolescents, so there's a lot of a lot of different kind of nuance there. Um, but I, I did want to touch on the point you made, too, about um, the approach or comfortability with certain staff uh, and staff backgrounds, right, whether that be a, you know, a, a school background and a professional background versus a background of experience um, and uh, – uh, the kind of the proclivity for folks who had the experience to share versus folks who are coming from a schooling and professional background uh, don't really do it or are more hesitant to do it. Um, <clears throat> and I remember uh, the Hillsboro hobo who we haven't referenced in a long time, uh, who I was uh, roommates with for, for eight years, basically all through our twenties um, while he was going to school to get his master's degree in counseling psychology um, you know, we laughed one night uh, which because he, which he doesn't, which he doesn't use, by the way. Which yeah, is no longer at least professionally, at least mm-hmm. professionally. But yeah, that's no longer used. But we were laughing one night. He came home, and something he had learned in graduate school were kind of like uh, the two cardinal rules of therapy, and they teach you this very early on that these are like you know the cardinal rules of therapy. Mm-hmm. That if you're planning on being a therapist or doing some sort of therapy or counseling, you do not break these rules. And rule number one is you're not supposed to talk about yourself. And rule number two is you're not supposed to give advice. And I said, well, damn, man, ever since I was hired as a graduate, I've been breaking those rules left and right because all I'm doing is giving these kids advice and uh, <laughs> and sharing about my time or my whatever. Uh, you know, and then as he studied it further and we got deeper into it, you know, like you were saying – um, you know, they, they say that those are just the things you want to be very careful with, but that if you are going to do that, um, you know, that it's well thought out, you know, that, that yes. there's a reason you're doing it and that there's a, right. an end goal in mind and that it's not just coming up, you know, without that kind of thought process, because then, yeah, like you said, um, it's not about you. It's about the, the client, obviously. Remember I told you um, that, Oftentimes, and it's a, and it's supposed to be this way, that in the hierarchy, the staff hierarchy 
of the, of the therapeutic community, there's a good cop and a bad cop. Right, right, and, right, right. And, and usually the good cop was the director, the bad cop was the assistant director um, and or senior counselors. Yeah. And so in, in our quote-unquote current uh, setup, so I'm kind of like the good cop, right? So the times when I do a general reveal, and I'm going to tell you what that is, and when I say it, this is what I meant by that, that you probably do this but just don't notice it. Not a lot, but I'm saying you, you probably have done this. Uh, but I call this my general reveal. But the odd thing is the only time I do this reveal is when the family is in an uproar, meaning that you know something has happened. The family's in trouble, literally and figuratively, meaning that they're they they they're gonna they're gonna be disciplined, okay? Yeah. But they're but they're also teetering on the brink of you know which side of the fence they're gonna be on, positive or negative. And every now and then, when we have that scenario, and if I am fortunate enough to be able to go before the family, um, I'll in some way, shape, or form at some point in time drop. I've sat right where you sit. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. That, and that and that's the extent of my reveal. I've sat right where you sit, and then I'm going into whatever I'm going. But there's a reason why I've said that. Um, and more often than not, it's to quell any notion that I sense that <clears throat> um, they're getting ready to um, like complain, whine, right. moan. About their predicament, rather than taking ownership, taking responsibility, sucking up whatever the consequences are, and then and moving forward. Right. Um. So to me, general reveals like that and other ways that people can do it, like um, what a staff member or you know, I'm gonna say his name in case he's listening, Andrew Goldberg. Remember Andrew? Goldberg. Yeah. Okay. Um, like he did not a general reveal to me, but a, a, an extremely personal reveal, which I thought was not only hilarious but fantastic because I didn't know that he was a heroin addict. Right. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, not until he shared it with me. Yeah. But I, he had worked there a long time before he ever shared that with me. I had right, no idea. Right. right. So when he told me, first thing I did, I laughed because of, you know, I'm sure, you know, like, I'm sure none of the clients knew that, okay, and and I'm sure that, and and maybe he might have shared that with some who knows, but I'm sure up until the point that he shared it, that that would have been the furthest thing from their mind that that's what his background was, right, okay? right. Um, but it's if you take him as an example, sharing something like that. It's like you got to hold that to the ultimate. You know what I mean? Like when you got, it's like when you're playing, uh, I guess, what yeah, is that, it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that's your queen slamming, of space, man. That's exactly. Your, that's and your you want to slam it right down. There. You want to slam it down on that table. Uh, yep. That's what you hold that for. And it's usually when they're, you know how our clients every now and then with some of our staff will say, oh, well, you haven't been there. You don't know what it's like to use. You're not in recovery. Stuff like that. Right. And, right. Uh, and and then he would be able to just boom, slam that car down on the table, and I would I would die to see their facial expressions. Yeah, right. <laughs> when, when he lays that on them, but 
that's an example of the right time, the right moment for maximum effect that right, you have shared exactly. something. And that's a personal share. It's not even a general share. It's a personal share of something about you specific to your background, um, which I rarely do. But there's a time and place where it may be extremely appropriate for yeah. your to yeah. further your ultimate goal. And it becomes that ultimately effective when it's very rarely used, I guess, which is our ultimate point. These things should be, you know, few and far between, rare, um, not a part of your quote-unquote repertoire, so to speak, right? Um, But as you stated, there may come a time and a place, a circumstance that you're seeing and you think dropping this, whether it's general or specific, um, is going to further your ultimate motive in a positive way, of course. Not yeah. that you're just uh, not not that you have unresolved issues and any chance you get, <laughs> you're going to yeah. be taking the opportunity in, <laughs> in therapy group to be therapizing. What's the word, what's the word I made up? Therapizing, therapizing yourself. Uh, right. Uh, taking up the client's time, which is what we don't want, of course. Of course. So we so in, I mean we don't want the extremes, obviously. Um, what we mean by that is we so we don't want there to be nothing. I'm sure there might be a time or two in your career where you might share something for a good reason, um, and we don't want where you're just you know sharing willy nilly all the time. Um, right. And again. And again, I think it takes some time, some experience to learn when those moments are where sharing something about yourself with with the with the client family um, is appropriate. And it's certainly not appropriate if they ask you to. The automatic answer should be no, that's not appropriate, and, and to you know give them the stiff arm and give them the pushback. Um, because obviously, you know, there's mul- a multitude of reasons why they're trying to elicit information from you versus coming from themselves and sharing from themselves. Um, so, no, if a client asks you to share, you absolutely don't share. Right, yeah, red flag, red flag. Yeah. So I, I don't know if the staff member in the back um, um all I saw was he put his hands over his face when they asked, when they asked me, um, but I hope he was able to hear my response uh, when when I when I told them that no that's that's unprofessional and inappropriate. Now I will give them this at the before we closed, uh, one of them did say that you know this staff don't do that, which I thought was good. Uh, good to hear because I said it's inappropriate for staff. I didn't even say me. I said it's inappropriate for staff to do that. This is your group. This is your time. We're here for you, and this is our role. Blah blah blah, um, etc. And so it was pleasing to the ears for here because if they were just saying, "Oh well, the staff do it all the time," they're like, "Okay." Yeah, then you, know you get your little yeah red flag warnings going up. Yeah, guess it's time for a training. That's it. 
Yeah, no, that's um, that's a good thing. You know, it it can be, and like you had differentiated the two staff, um, a lot of graduates who become staff, and I would imagine it's not just in our program, but in the field generally speaking, you, you graduate from some sort of program in the field and then you become an employee in that field that many folks feel that their value to the organization or the only real reason they were hired was because of their experience as a graduate. And so bringing your value into the company, if that is indeed where that value stems from, you're more likely to or prone to share about yourself or your experience or speak from that graduate perspective, which when you're going through the process of graduation as like a phase, we used to, they were phase fours back in the day. Now they're level fives, but you've essentially done what you had to do in inpatient treatment and you're coming back to give back and check in with the family once a week, twice a week, um, that that was the role that you played essentially you wanted mm-hmm. to share about your experience and you wanted to let these guys know like, wow, a year ago, this guy was a phase one, just like I am now. And now this is where he's at. And and that that's kind of, you provide value to the organization as a phase four encompassing that role. But once you become a graduate and then ultimately a staff member, how your responsibility and your role changes. Um, and then that can take some getting used to because, um, yes you feel like you've been hired because of that, but now you're having to play from a different angle, you know? That's a great distinction. But I think historically what those staff have been able to do by and large is they didn't share too much as terms of personal stuff, but they did share um, about their treatment experience. So as a, as something that the, clients can learn from so like you know how to conduct yourself in encounter group how to challenge your fears how to um keep your room tight and you know all those things about the treatment experience in in the tc um they share those things i shared those things when when i was a young young counselor so um which to me is different from you know talking about your 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 personal stories um, right. The an, another professional colleague, and since this person told me that, I've heard it from even professionals, you know, professional leaders within OCG about how in the professional establishment, in some cases, they require as a as a part of the your you know your educational process that you take. That you 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 the, the the student actually go through therapy, right? Um, right. I don't know if it's for a semester or two or you know, but they just say you go you you yourself have therapy, and, and the purpose of it, I'm guessing, is to so that when you now announce yourself into the field and you are now formally helping others, okay, that you have done the best you can to resolve any issues that you may have that may leak their way into your practice. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's still a, um, 
I can't, I don't know if Donald actually did that for a semester in class, but they once you become a therapist and a licensed therapist, the recommendation of continuing through your career is that you yourself are engaged in or participate in some sort of therapy. Right. And this is the uh, the amazing science behind the day day top because like their training program. When you come in, I mean, you don't know anything, right? But one of the things they focus on is dealing with you. And so the first two or three months, there, there's no theory. There's no didactic learning. It's about you, the person, because they want to know what are they actually getting. Are they getting someone that still has significant trauma that they have not addressed or, or they are in no way, shape, or form working on, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Um, they want to know those things because they say, well, you're going to be helping other people who have these issues, and if you still have them, how in the world can you help them? Right. I mean, what happens if you know, you're in a group and someone starts talking about something that's deep and personal to you and you have a transference <laughs> yeah, right. thing going on, and uh, you know, who knows what could happen? Um, Very true. So, yeah, they, the, you know, the first two or three months of the training program is, is mental and emotional boot camp, um, and that's how they weed people out. That's how they weed people out. And like I've said many times over the years, we start in my class started out with twenty, we ended up with, with three. So Ooh, yeah, that's the process. That's the weeding out process right there. Yeah. That's serious. Yeah. So it's and obviously and you know, out here in California we didn't have as an, an extensive uh program set up like that, but when we have hired graduates um, and or people who are in recovery, they may have come through other other programs. You want to make sure that um, you are dealing with and working with a person who's um, you know made some progress, and you know evidenced by their presentation and and, and other factors that you can look at. Um, because we've you know we just like daytime we've swung and missed a few times. Yeah, you know, right. We, we've gotten some people who who weren't who weren't ready, i.e., they weren't ready in their personal life, and of course that eventually you know rise you know that that not being ready eventually will show itself. You just hope that it doesn't show itself to such an extreme that it, it you know that it you know it has a a, a negative impact on clients. Um, right. And that we see and catch it soon enough that we can take corrective action, whatever that may be. Because such is the case when you're working with human beings, right? Um, right, of course. Sometimes you don't know what you're getting until you see the person in the mix. Um, because, you know, some people can, can fool the best. It's very so, true. Yep. So I think that's all I got, Mr. Producer. Beautiful. Did I lose you? Oh, no, here I am. Here I am. Okay, okay. Uh, in addition to, uh, yeah, making it um, making it public for anybody who wants to listen to the podcast, this might go into our, our archives for um, – 
uh, staff education and staff and staff improvement for sure. You know how when we are uh, <clears throat> training staff on the privacy and confidentiality laws, and we always say, look, ultimately, when in doubt, share nothing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that is a and, good rule of thumb. Yep. So that that would be my closing piece of advice to those in the field. When in doubt, share nothing. <clears throat> nothing Absolutely. can go wrong with sharing nothing. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Lest you be accosted by the the clients next time there's some sort of forum with which they can do some accosting. Right. Tell us about yeah. you. Oh, yeah, no, good topic, good topic. Do we have an estimate for our listeners before we sign off here and when we might get to the next show? We at, we want to, at minimum, do a show every month. Right, right, right. All right, so, so yeah, maybe. So by the maybe... time we come back around, we should be, um, uh, let's see, let, let me, while we're, I'll just look on the calendar real quick and see. So, yeah, like if we're looking at uh, the 30th, which I believe is a Tuesday, training camp should already be started that weekend. Um, That's right. So we'll, we'll, um, we might have our first word on who's torn their upper pecs and uh, oh, man. Yeah. blown out the Achilles and torn the MCL, ACL, and TCL. That's right. Holy <laughs> smokes. Yeah, well, that sounds like a good that sounds like a good estimate to me. Um, so we will, yeah, we'll have some training camp start of training camp updates and uh, be moving into the month of August, our Independence Month, which I'm sure we'll do a nice little show for. So, yep, beautiful, sounds well done, good. well, great topic today, sir. We're gonna send you all off with a little music here at the end. We wish everybody a, a safe month. Enjoy your uh, your opening weekends to summer here, and we will catch you all on the other side. Drums, please. <laughs>
or in your Nissan sitting on Lorenzo's. Back in Philly, we be out in the park. A place called the Plateau is where everybody goes. Guys out hunting and girls doing likewise. Honking at the honey in front of you with the light eyes. She turned around to see what you beeping at. It's like the summer's a natural aphrodisiac. And with a pen and pad, I compose this rhyme to hit you and to get you equipped for the summertime.
that's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you ready?